Welcome to School Nutrition Dietitian. I'm your host, Dahlia Kinsey. I work with programs all over the country as a registered dietitian and school nutrition specialist to save operations time and money on everything from employee training, social media marketing, and wellness programs. Every week, I bring you tips, tricks, and inspiration from fellow professionals in school nutrition and related fields. Today, we have Jessica Stansberry on the show. In addition to being a digital media strategist, Jessica has a huge following on YouTube. So she's the perfect person to talk to about building up your resilience when it comes to creating content, putting your face out there, marketing your program, and possibly facing criticism. That's something that is hard for all of us to deal with, and especially when it comes to online content, people are a lot more free or comfortable criticizing than maybe they would be to your face. So that's something to get used to. But at the same time, social media marketing is such a helpful thing to add to your marketing mix. This is a fear that we need to work through. So I think it's something that gets in a lot of people's way. It's gotten in my way in the past. And so Jessica is here to talk to us about that. And she gives a lot of other awesome takeaways and action items that you can use as soon as the episode is over. If you enjoy the show, please take a screenshot of it, maybe share it on social media, share it in your stories. You can tag me at School Nutrition RD. I would love to hear from you. All right. School Nutrition Dietitian here on a mission to show you fruits and vegetables can be super delicious. Eating healthy keeps you healthy on the inside. Keep your stomach satisfied and keep a clear mind. Now you're ready for your academics. Focus, time to handle business. Breakfast, you you don't want to miss it. Help your body to replenish. Clean food, clear mind. That is the vision. Tune in to the School Nutrition Dietitian. Woo. Hi, Jessica. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm pumped to be here. I really feel like the topics that you cover on your show are a great match for my audience because we work in a field where you don't always feel appreciated or celebrated. Sometimes it's easy to get discouraged. So I thought who better to have on the show than someone who literally has a podcast by the t- name of Grit so that you could build us up a little and maybe give us some tips on resilience and how we can keep doing what we do, even if we're not getting uh, celebrated all the time. Of course. Yeah, that sounds great to me. So let's start with how do you define grit? So for me, when I was really coming up with my podcast name, I wanted a word that was a representation of the the female version of balls, <laughs> if you will, <laughs> like the female version of like empowerment and what it takes to get things done and really being okay with pulling all the stops and and forgetting what everybody else is saying about you. And grit is just the word that encompasses all of that. So it's really, to me, it's really about like ignoring the naysayers, ignoring all of the excuses that you have for yourself, ignoring the excuses that come externally, and really getting in there and doing the things you need to do to get it done. 
Some people would argue that things are easier now than they ever have been. And I'm constantly hearing that millennials and Gen Z people have life so easy. All Mm -hmm. of that considered, why do you feel like grit is still essential these days and maybe more than ever in actuality? Yeah. So have you ever, I'll I'll turn the question back on you a little bit. (laughs) Have you ever had those moments where you're like, oh, I just don't feel like doing what's on my to-do list. Or it's like, oh, who am I to do this, right? Like, have you ever had those moments? All the time. Yeah, that (laughs) imposter syndrome thing, it stopped me from creating my own content for almost a decade. Maybe it's been more than that because I always wanted to do something entrepreneurial or creative But I found myself procrastinating by preparing more. I'm like, I need to take another class. I need another certification. When I would see other people who started at the same time as me, but didn't get in their own way, and they Mm -hmm. blew up. And I couldn't figure out what was wrong, but it boiled down to lack of resilience and a fear of criticism. Because even with this project, you know how it is when you put yourself out there with anything, someone's going to hate what you're doing. It's inevitable. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's hard to, well, I don't know if it's hard to tolerate it. It's hard to get used to it. And I feel like in this digital age where you can be criticized by people you've never met before, there's a need for resilience that I think a lot of us were not raised with to be able to just do what you do and not be totally destroyed when someone says it stinks. Exactly. And that's exactly why we still need grit. Like we, we do have things easier these days. Like we have, we're doing jobs that weren't a thing 10 years ago or 15 years ago, right? Like we're all doing things that couldn't have been done at least in the format that we do them 10 or 15 years ago. So it's very new and we have all these tools at our disposal and all of these things and all of this potential, but we still are people (laughs) who get in our own way. And I mean, I just recently discovered, and I won't even say the name of it because I don't want to give it the time of day, but this website that's, I guess, very popular, but I didn't know about it, that basically all it's for is to criticize people on the internet, like bloggers, Instagrammers, YouTubers, that kind of situation. And so, yeah, I mean, we are being hit constantly with not only like the people who actually know us in real life thinking we're crazy, because I guarantee you that's going to happen, but also like strangers on the internet who are going to call us names or say things about us or tell us we don't know what we're talking about. And we have to have that grit to be able to say, you know what, like I'm, I'm me, I'm doing me and like you can just go like whatever you want to do leave me alone you know (laughs) absolutely so tell me a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey how did you end up where you are today and were you raised with some of this resilience or is it something you developed oh that is such a good question I'll start there with the was I raised with it I I just think I was innately born a little bit more resilient than some. I had some things happen in my childhood that could have really been a massive like change in me as a person. And I'm sure they changed me, but because I was the way I was, I just kind of was like, oh, well, that's cool. <laughs> so so I definitely, my my mom is a very strong female in, in my life. And like she was always 
very resilient against anything that happened to her. She had me right after she turned 18, just like lots of stuff. So I do think I was raised a little bit with it, but I wasn't raised entrepreneurial at all. Both of my parents have always worked and, you know, traditional jobs and all of that. And my entrepreneurial journey has been like a roller coaster and I do not like roller coasters. (laughs) Um, So I'm always like, ah, I wish I could get off this. But basically went, well, I've always had businesses from as long as I can remember starting in college, I had like little side things and I call them businesses, but half of them never made any money. But I would like do graphic design work for people or I would make, I I had a small business making like custom invitations for like baby showers and stuff. So I did all of that in college. And then right out of college, I had a photography business and then I got a full-time job and that kind of went by the wayside. And about three years into my full-time job, I had my first son and I hated my job and hated the fact that I was going to have to leave my baby to go back to a job that I hated. And so basically I did go back, but I went back for like a month and then I quit (laughs) and went to stay home with my baby, but I needed to make money. So I basically just pulled on my skills and I started a graphic design company, which morphed into web design and blog design, which then kind of morphed into me teaching people like tech and web web stuff. And then that has morphed into just really teaching what I know and, and honing in on where I can help people in the most efficient way. So it's really went from like tech and YouTube and content and now like motivational content and things like that. So was your original vision to end up teaching since that's more scalable and it's not one-to-one Or did people just keep asking you questions and you realized teaching would be something that would help your audience? Yeah. So originally, when I first started my business, I didn't even know teaching was a thing. I I just thought like I had to be some kind of service provider or product creator, you know, like own an Etsy shop or something like that, because that was, you know, nearly 10 years ago now. And it just wasn't as much of like a thing to be an infopreneur, if you will. But as I really dove into like learning myself and really investing in my own, you know, knowledge and everything, I realized it was a career and it was something I wanted to shift towards, but I basically did let my audience guide me and I still do. So as I built up an audience, they would say, well, how did you do this thing? And it was always about like websites or something of that nature. So I would always, I kind of lean towards teaching web and system stuff. And then they would start shifting and saying like, oh, well, how did you grow so fast on YouTube? And I would shift and teach about that. And I just basically listened to my audience along the way and followed them along their journey so that I can help them along the way and not, you know, not be so stuck in my ways of like, this is what I teach that I, my audience leaves me and loses me. That makes sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So you mentioned that you are huge on YouTube, which is true. And I think one of the biggest things that holds back people in school nutrition from trying to do more marketing is usually personal fear. No one wants to be the person in front of the camera. Mm -hmm. Again, back to the criticism and maybe just a fear of the technology. When, since you already had the technology unlock and it sounds like you're naturally gifted with some resilience, what would you tell people about the importance of leveraging video with young people, which is 
who our target audience is. Because even our parents these days, they're definitely millennials. So they are very visual. What do we, why should we be there, basically? So you've heard, and I'm sure everybody listening has heard of the no lack and trust factor. It's basically the process that people have to go through to buy from you. And so they have to know you, like you, and trust you. And there are essentially four ways to get people through this. And that's one is the written word. So like blogging. Two would be voice like this, like a podcast. And then three would be video. And four would be um, actually meeting someone in person. And they're in that order of how quickly you can get people through the process. So it's you could spend months and months and months and months and years writing a blog and take it takes someone that long to feel like they know you, like you, and trust you before they can purchase from you. I will say, um, back to your first part of that question of like people being afraid to be on camera, and it's real. It really is. When I first started on YouTube, I was recording videos, but they were all screencasts. Like none of them had my face mm-hmm. because I had gained about, I don't know, 20 pounds at that point after like my thinnest. And I just was like, I don't feel comfortable being on right. camera. And then I just finally had to kick my own butt and be like, listen, if you wait until you lose the weight, you're never going to do it. Like that's, you know, you'll never be satisfied with your weight or you're never going to be satisfied with your hair or your makeup or your, your whatever. And so I just jumped in feet first. And honestly, I'm sitting here two and a half years after starting on YouTube. And if I would have waited till I lost the weight, I wouldn't have 50,000 subscribers because I still haven't lost it. Right. So, and, and I will say that being on camera, all the time and seeing myself on camera has really helped me feel better and embrace my, you know, the way I look better if I wasn't looking at myself all the time. And so now like when other people get me on camera and I can't control the editing or I can't control like what filter they use, it doesn't usually bother me as bad because I'm so used to seeing myself on camera and I know what I look like. And it's not like a shock, you know, cause a lot of times yeah. it's a shock of like, <laughs> do I move my mouth like that? Does my <laughs> eyebrow go that way? <laughs> it's not a shock anymore. So I just like, let it ride. That that is a really good point. It's basically like immersion therapy. You just face your fear and eventually it diminishes. Mm-hmm. So the trick is to start doing it and then the change happens, not yes. waiting to feel comfortable. So you just put yourself yep. out there. Aside from just doing the thing, are there any exercises that you can recommend for people to build up their resilience? Yeah. So specifically on video, um, if you're wanting to, you know, get on video and you really want to figure all of that out, one of them is to really just get in and do it, record a bunch of videos and promise yourself, make a promise to yourself that you're not going to delete them. You're not going to whatever you're going to edit them and you're going to put them up. Um, that's going to help more than anything because once you see that nobody on the internet will, like immediately found you and was like, Oh my gosh, your hair looks funny or whatever. (laughs) Then you're going to be like, okay, like I could keep doing this. I also say like to pretend like you're talking to a friend or one person when you're um, looking at the camera, because a lot of times we think about like all the people who could possibly be watching us, which in reality, when you first start, there's really not going to be that many people watching, you know? So if you think about like the one person who really needs the help that you're giving them or 
or whatever, it's really, really going to be helpful. And I actually, I have, I think I have a couple of videos on my YouTube channel on like building confidence on video that have probably more tips than I can think of right this second, but those are my biggest two. Okay. That's great. I'm going to um, find those videos and put them in the show notes so people okay. can watch them later. Perfect. Yeah. Well, let's see. Where do I want to go with this? You are so concise. This is already so many great takeaways. I guess <laughs> I thought it would take us longer to get to like the meat of it. <laughs> yes. So when it comes to what your vision is for your business now, what is your mission? What is motivating you to keep doing what you do? So I have really found that people, women specifically, are our biggest our biggest problem is ourselves. And our biggest problem is that we're in our own way. Like we talked about earlier, we, we're the ones like stopping ourselves from going forward. We're the reason we're not growing. We're the reason we're not hitting those goals and doing those things. And I've really found that, I mean, I know it's something I've always struggled with. And then as I started voicing it to my audience, everybody was like, yes, I struggle with this too. Um, and I get so many messages every single time we release a new podcast episode that it's like, oh my gosh, like you were speaking to me because they're, we are all struggling with getting out of our own way. So basically my mission right now is to empower passionate women to get out of their own way so they can do what they were put on this earth to do. Because I believe that like, you know, that it doesn't mean all of us were put on this earth to be entrepreneurs or all of us were put here to do, you know, to teach people or to be infopreneurs or anything like that. But I do believe that we all have like a mission while we're here and a reason um, that we're here and we're like showing up in the way we are. And if the only reason we won't hit that mission or we won't go after that is because we are the ones stopping us. So if I can do something, whether it's motivation or the podcast or a YouTube video or speaking or a course or whatever to help people stop making excuses and stop saying like, I don't have the resources or the time or the money or the knowledge or whatever and start actually doing, then I have done my job. That is an awesome, clear vision. How long did it take you to boil it down to that? So I have, I have this formula that I call the lens statement, L-E-N-S statement. And basically, I, I want always to be so concise that I can look at this statement that's like a sentence long and I can say, am I doing something that accomplishes that mission? So when I said I empower passionate women to get out of their own way so they can do what they were put on this earth to do, that's my lens statement. And so everything I do works towards that. And I have a whole episode on the podcast about the lens statement. And there's also like a formula, like a fun little Mad Libs on my website. But basically it's, you know, who are you helping? What is the problem they're facing? And how are they going to feel once you're done helping them? And if you can get really clear on that, then everything else kind of just falls into place because you're like, okay, well, I can do that by doing X, Y, or Z, or I can, I can shift some things around, but I mean, that could change tomorrow. <laughs> that's, right. That's kind of my, you know, I'm not, I don't get too in my own head about what I'm doing right now, because if that means I need to shift a little bit to 
continue with the mission, I'm okay with that. So, you know, whether it's teaching YouTube strategy or, or whatever, I'm totally fine with doing all of that because I know that it's going to help my bigger mission along the way. Yeah. I love the idea of having a mission statement for yourself as an individual. Like you said, not everybody is going to work for themselves and not everyone wants to, and not everyone was meant to. But Mm -hmm. even if you are working for someone else, I think it's important to know why you get up and go to work every day. And it can't just be to get paid because that really isn't motivating. That kind of is a given. You need to have some purpose, some sense of purpose beyond the money. And I feel like a lot of people, when you ask them in school nutrition, it's all about the kids, but how do you make that personal? How does that connect with your personal values? I know for me, I just really believe in equality and helping people get the leg up they need to be successful when they already have something stacked against them. So being hungry when you're in an environment where you're supposed to be learning things that you're going to need literally to be successful the rest of your life, that is such a motivator knowing that giving people the nutrition they need is going to help them be the happiest, most fulfilled version of themselves that is more motivating than something kind of vague. So that's Mm -hmm. something that everybody could think about. What is the reason that you're getting up and going to work in the morning? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's, it's really interesting because I know back when I was in corporate, which I wasn't in like a school nutritionist or anything like that. But back when I was in like a corporate environment, there was no bigger mission. I was showing up (laughs) to get my money And then I was counting down the hours to go home. Like that was really what it came down to, which is a sad way to live. I, that's, that's become more and more apparent to me. Like the more and more I dive into personal development and really helping entrepreneurs do this is that like, ah, I wish somebody could get like in front of the people who feel that way. Right. Like people who are like, I'm just going here to collect a paycheck because there's so much more to life than that. And if that means switching jobs or, you know, switching your outlook on your job or like whatever that is, I think we all, I completely agree. I think we all need that bigger mission on like, what is the reason? Why are we here? Why is, why is our presence on earth worth the oxygen? (laughs) Like, why are we here? Because I don't, I just don't believe that like we're here for no reason. You know, I mean, I, I believe that like we were put here to do something great and something great could be helping one person, you know, something great could be filling in a service job that needs to be you know, needs to be done because that's what you love to do. My mother-in-law is the principal at a middle school and she's been the principal at several different schools. She's been a teacher in and out of the classroom in two different States. (laughs) Yeah. We live on the border of North Carolina, Virginia and Tennessee. And so she has taught and she retired from North Carolina and is on her second career in Tennessee. But she tells me all the time that she wishes she could work at a grocery store. (laughs) Like that she would love that. Like she likes to talk to people and she likes to organize groceries. And I'm like, oh my gosh, see, like we need people like this who would be so excited to show up and work at the grocery store. And that is funny. Yeah, because (laughs) it could be, you don't want to dump on anyone else's vision because people are needed in all jobs that are passionate about what they're doing. I had a childhood friend who 
I swear from like the age of nine, once she realized she could work at Publix, that's all she could talk about. And that's what she ended up doing. And we're like, is she really not going to change her mind? And she has worked her way up and she still loves it. I'm like, that's so random. Just She just really liked the experience of going to Publix as a child. And she's like, this is what I want to do. And she brings a lot of passion to it. Right. I mean, we've all got those, we've all got those things that we, and we're all so different and that's what makes the world go round. And so I don't think anybody's dreams are worse or better or whatever. I think we just really need to know that whatever we're doing, we need to approach it with passion and dedication rather than like, this is just where I am because I need money. And here in my town. So I live in a very small town and I'm talking like super small. I actually had to, <laughs> I had to Google it this the other day, or I actually had to call our courthouse to figure this out, to get like census data. But because I was pitching myself to something and our County. So basically there's only one high school in the whole County. And so, um, and like all our grocery stores and everything encompass the County. We're not like by town. And our county has 24,000 people, but we have 27,000 cows. What? So, yeah. So we literally have more cows than we have people, <laughs> which is hysterical. But That's it's also, amazing to me that they keep, I didn't know that you keep track of how many cows are in the town or the county. They do. They know wow. like livestock numbers and stuff. Cause I actually called and was like, do you guys happen to know how many? <laughs> and they were like, yes, we do actually. I'm like, okay, this is awesome. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, and I'm sure, you know, like it, it ebbs and flows, but we live in a very small town and there are only a handful of companies that have a lot of jobs and or good jobs here. And it's very, very few. We have like the phone company, the electric company, the banks and the county offices. And like, there's like one factory here. And so I think about that a lot with people here locally, because I know that they're just doing the best they can because we don't have a lot of options, you know? Um, So it's, it's, there's not a lot of options here, but I think about a lot like, I get it, but we also need to be trying to, you know, work into positions where we feel passion because if we aren't feeling passionate, we're going to get to the end of our lives and be like, oh my gosh, what did I do? You know, all I did was work and I didn't care about what I was doing and what good was that, you know? Yeah. And you make a really good point. So I wonder about the people that are in a position that they don't love and they're struggling to change their outlook because they don't think this is what they were meant to do, but external circumstances dictate that they stay where they are. Like I'm from a fairly small town. I have no idea. I don't think it's as small as I think it is now that you say you guys are outnumbered by cows because uh, I was in a coastal city and it's really grown a lot, but it felt small when I was a kid. And uh-huh. I even remember teachers complaining that they were not interested in teaching. They mm-hmm. were accounting majors or they had planned on doing something different, but they said in our town, there were like five positions available and those people were not going to leave until they retired. So they were teaching and they hated it. And they hated it so much that they told us that they hated it yeah. pretty often. So what do you tell people who 
feel like they're stuck and they may legitimately have limited options, what are the options for them to get some joy out of their workday? Yeah. So first, I think that if anybody dives into personal development, you're going to find the good in all circumstances because that's been a huge game changer for me. And I think if I would have found that when I was miserable in my job, I would have been much more, you know, able to see the good and to really strive because I was there. I was totally there. I had taken a job I did not want because it was one of the good jobs. Like that's, that's really what it was. And I quit it and people thought I was insane (laughs) and, but I was miserable. So first I would say dive into personal development, but second, I want to go back to what we said in the beginning of this episode. And that is that we have unlimited resources. Like I can build, I have built a pretty successful, at least in my eyes, business from a tiny town where I am three hours from an airport. I, it takes me three hours to get to an airport. I can't get to target for two hours. Yeah. Like I'm secluded. I'm not only small, but I'm secluded. So that I think that makes it even, (laughs) even feel smaller, you know, Yeah. but I have done this from, from a County where I don't have, there's not a lot of jobs. When I quit that job, I knew for a fact that of the five places to work, I had just basically nixed three of them because my mom works at one, my husband works at another, and I had just quit one. So I'm like, okay, well, like I'm pretty well going to hope this works because (laughs) I have no other options. So I think like knowing that we have unlimited resources and that we have the ability to you know, work, do a side hustle while we're still full time and, um, turn that side hustle into full time and do work remotely for a company that's, you know, three States away or whatever is really powerful. So if like someone's miserable or someone's like really just not happy, I really think that diving into what the potential possibilities are to change that situation outside of that normal box that we normally put ourselves in. Right. And I've seen some people reach out to leadership at their jobs explaining, Mm -hmm. like, I don't hate everything about this. I'm sure they said it more diplomatically, but (laughs) um, basically telling them what their areas of interest were, even though they didn't directly relate to their job. And asking for leadership to kind of give them assignments that did connect to things they were interested in so that they wouldn't hate the whole work week and they could do some things that they like. Totally. I actually did that when I was at my corporate job. I, it also got me in trouble, but I did that. (laughs) I, I went to them and I was like, I really enjoy like talking to people on a, a deeper level. I'm, um, in, like if you're familiar with the Myers-Briggs, I'm an ENFP and small talk is like, bleh, I can't yeah, stand it. That's what, so, I, that's mine. Yeah. So <laughs> I like deep conversations and I like really getting to the, like this, you know, like really getting to the core of things. And so I went to them and I was like, I really enjoy like research and thought process and being involved in this and all of this stuff. And so I would volunteer for these committees where I knew that that was, a possibility. And then they would say like, somebody needs to make a sheet and I would make spreadsheets because they had color and it was like more than normal. You know, it also got me in trouble because I did eventually say like, this is not where I'm supposed to be forever. And I hope you guys see that. And I said that to them and I eventually, essentially like they were like, 
if you don't like your job, then you can leave. <laughs> so, um, so, so not all, yeah, not all companies are understanding. Mine definitely wasn't. But at the same time, I think it's worth the risk to really say like, listen, here's where my strengths are. I understand that my job is this and I'm happy to do it, but I also want you to keep me in mind if there's other possibilities that open up that fit in these categories, because I know I would excel really well in that. Right. And I could see that going both ways. If you find your workforce has people in it that are less than excited about coming to work every day, trying to communicate with them, trying to start that conversation to see what would you like to be doing? Are there any tasks in the department that you see that you think you're a great fit for that aren't currently assigned to you? But you just have to get the conversation going. And good point that personal development is really where these changes happen, but that means you have to make an effort. If yes. you are not feeling passionate at what you do, you have to take responsibility for your life and start looking at what the root of the problem is. Oh, amen. I mean, it's, I think that's part of, so I went in my local, we have like a mother's Facebook group or whatever for our local area. And I went in there just recently, actually, maybe a couple months ago. And I was like, hey, because most of them are not entrepreneurs, right? They're either stay-at-home moms or they work in one of our corporate environments here. And I was like, do you listen to personal development podcasts, read personal development books, do any type of personal development? And I just put a poll like, yes, no. And I mean, it was overwhelmingly no. And so then the next day or a couple of days later, I was like, if you said no to this poll, like why? And they were all like, we don't care. And I'm like, okay, well then like you can't come to me and say I'm miserable in my job or I'm miserable in whatever and expect sympathy (laughs) if you're not willing to do the work to make sure you're not right? right. Like that's so powerful and you're so right. Like they have to be willing to do it. Like I can't force it on them, you know? Right. And I think that's important to know as someone who wants to help other people, you have to remember what your role really is. You're a facilitator and you're not a magician. So if they don't want to be involved in the process, uh, you kind of can't do anything for them. They're not ready, I guess. Yeah, it will, we'll all see it because it's like, you know, the person who hates their job and you're like, well, you could do something else. They're like, no, I can't. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can't actually. Oh my goodness. It it just makes me think of so many people. I have, I enjoyed my last position in a lot of ways, but I knew it wasn't a long-term thing for me. It was a good stepping stone type of job. And there are people there who've been there for like 10 years, 15 years, who hate it. And they're always talking about how much they hate it. And when they talk to me now, and they're like, Oh, how did you leave? How did you do this and that? And I asked them if they've even updated their resume. And they haven't. I'm like, what are you talking about? How, how do you get a new job? Well, Step one, maybe update that resume. Step two, (laughs) apply for something. They haven't even done that. I'm like, I don't know what's going on with you, but you don't actually want change. There's something about the situation that makes you comfortable and you don't want to leave it behind. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. They don't actually want change. And something, something there is like keeping them stuck and they're using an excuse of like, oh, no, I can't because of X, Y, or Z, when really there's not a good excuse. Right. Absolutely. 
So, yeah, there's so you said a mouthful, basically. <laughs> so for those of us who are just loving life <laughs> and loving our positions, but afraid to do more, our advice is just start doing the thing and you will become more confident as things move along. And then we're going to include resources for you guys in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Aside from that, is there anything else you'd like to share with the audience? These are people that are entrusted with feeding children across the United States. So yeah. it, with that in mind, do you have any words of wisdom for us? I think it, just to say that like what you guys do is super important. I actually... so. I had some cousins growing up who were not financially stable. They didn't have a good home life and that kind of situation. And one of them, obviously they're now all adults. And one of them has recently realized that she suffered a lot of trauma in her life and that she had a lot of like issues. And she wrote a blog post the other day saying that, she's, she's overweight. And she was saying that like, she doesn't know if it's because when she was little, she didn't know where the next meal was coming from. Or if it was because, you know, she would go to school just so she could eat or, you know, all of these different situations that like her current state could be because of. And I just think like, I don't remember, I don't think we even had a school nutritionist when I was in, especially in like high school, but that could have been such a helpful person for her. And so I know for me, I live in a very low income area just by nature. We're super low income here. And to the point where, and I actually, this was shocking to me. I was in a PTO meeting or something the other day, and they were saying that all of our elementary schools, we have three they have about probably like 500 kids a piece in them. And all the elementary schools are 60% or more of the children in those schools qualify for free lunches, which means that the, you know, the income is low for them. And so I just think of how important that is to my community. And so all I really have to say is that you guys are doing amazing work and that you, that i I know that there's probably some, some times when you're like, Oh, I'm burnt out. I don't want to do this anymore. But know that like, if you just help one kid or you just help one family that you've done an amazing, amazing job. Thank you so much, Jessica. Mm -hmm. You're welcome. Jessica is so knowledgeable on this topic. I was really lucky to have the opportunity to interview her. I've seen her at a couple of conferences since then. And every single time I learned something new, you know, sometimes when you see a presenter more than once, it starts to feel like, oh, yeah, I pretty much understand that they're recycling content. But no, social media is something that changes pretty often. And this is a person as a resource that really keeps up with what's going on. So I definitely recommend that you check out her site as well, because she has lots of neat resources there, and especially on her YouTube channel. I'll have all of that in the show notes. Remember, the only fee for the show is that you share it with others. So make sure you tag me on Instagram, on Facebook, wherever you end up sharing this. It's Dahlia Kinsey on LinkedIn and everywhere else. I'm School Nutrition RD. All right, see you next time.